one verse and part of one verse. Psalm 31, verse 15. My times are in your hands. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this little short verse is most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, one more time I ask for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place and all that are watching in order that their perception of what I say will be heard and received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Let me be clear, very simple, and I know there's somebody here who really needs this word. And it may just be one, and it's like you to deliver a whole sermon for just one person and the rest listen in. But whoever that person is, I pray that he or she will know that you affirm them and your hand is on them and you have a plan for their lives. May this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here's the question. What do you do when things don't go according to plan? You've made your plans and they fall apart and you begin to ask questions like, who's to blame? What have I done wrong? Is this God's judgment? Is it the devil? Is it hereditary? Why? How could this happen? And I know what it is for plans to be blown up and things are never put together again and you don't know for a long time why God let it happen. I know what it is to plan for something. One thing I thought I would share, you that know that I recently was in Mozambique, you've asked how did it go? Here's the, the story. Two years ago, we were in Mozambique and the one thing I didn't get to see and I was disappointed about is to go to the bush because for some reason the miraculous takes place in the bush. And uh, if you don't go to the bush, you're probably not going to see a miracle. And I, I kind of wanted to see that. And they said, well, you just didn't come on the day we go to the bush. And so I get invited back again. And uh, a man uh, kindly uh, paid my way to go back and said, we will see that you go to the bush. So our son, T.R., said, oh, Dad, then I want to go. Any chance I can go? Well, it worked out for, for T.R. To, to go and join me. And uh, so that was the plan. Then when we applied for visas, we never had so much trouble. I had to go back three times. And uh, finally, we got the visa. Then after the book was, it was booked, the plane has been booked, airfare paid, and you can't get your money back for the kind of ticket that we got. And uh, everything was starting to go wrong. We were told, you probably won't get to go to Mozambique after all because of trouble in that country from another faith 
where some have been radicalized. They're starting to cut people's heads off. They're burning thatched roofs, houses, grass huts, and people living, uh, sleeping out on uh, beaches because they're afraid their grass uh, hut will be burned down. And it was happening all over uh, Mozambique and said, you won't get to come. And uh, it was too late. We, we, we now had our visas. And then 200 and some people who had come from 30 states had to be transferred to uh, South Africa. And, uh, and they said, if you do come, you'll end up going to South Africa to address those people. Well, the tickets were already paid for. As I said, we couldn't get the money back. And I told TR, we're not going to get to go to the bush, probably not even into Mozambique. Well, the interesting thing was when we landed, expecting to be put on the plane to go right back, uh, we went through. And so here we are now, and I get to speak to a couple hundred Mozambican ministers. Uh, they're training for the ministry. And then Heidi Baker says, we're going tomorrow on a boat ride. And I thought, I don't want to go on a boat ride. I didn't come over here for a boat ride. We live on a lake in Tennessee. I can always go on a boat ride. But I went along with it. But then on the way over, as we were coming to a certain area, I said, Heidi, this looks like we're in the bush. She says, we are. Surprise. We managed to, to do it. And lo and behold, we go back into a spot where there was a village nobody knew about because you can't see it from Pemba. You can't see it from the sea. It's behind the mangroves. And uh, we get out of the boat, wade in water, walk a mile in mud and sand. And finally, there is a little village made up, we found out later, 920 people. And I get to meet the chief of the tribe. And uh, just to fast forward, because getting a little late start today, and I'm going to have to cut this down a little bit because I just want to say what I have to say to be a blessing. But let me just say this. Uh, I had the privilege of leading the tribal chief to the Lord, and he was of another faith. And, and what was so interesting is Heidi had been talking to him, and he was always rebellious. He wouldn't say... He wouldn't give her any time, whatever. And uh, she then said, well, we want to build a church. Well, he was not going to let them build a church. And then eventually they changed the name to multi-purpose building. And he would approve of that. And so now we're coming to dedicate this. This is the reason we're coming on this boat ride. I give the gospel to him. And then I notice 30 or 40 people are joining us and listening to every word. I gave the gospel, Jesus Christ, Son of God, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and you need to transfer your trust and works to what he did for you on the cross. All has been translated into his own dialect. Uh, the basic language is, is uh, um, Portuguese, but this area didn't even speak that. It was altogether different, but we had a man who knew the language perfectly. And when the priests began to pray the prayer. Lo and behold, the 30 or 40 people that gathered me, they're joining in the same prayer. And it turned out that not only did the chief pray the prayer, that part of the village did. And it made me see, for the first time, the real meaning of household conversions. 
I could see now how it could happen because they all prayed it because the chief prayed it. And then a few minutes later, we go to another area. Here's a man with elephantitis. Heard of this disease. And I saw it. It's so sad. And I prayed for him. And I didn't get anywhere. And then I prayed again. I didn't get anywhere. Uh, but right to my right, two feet away, is Heidi. And she's dealing with a deaf mute. We're talking about a, a mother holding her baby, never heard a sound in her life, never spoke, couldn't even speak, couldn't utter a word. Heidi just says, in Jesus' name, say, Jesus. And the woman said, Jesus. And everybody around were amazed. They'd never heard her speak. And she began talking by the time we left. And it was an example. T.R. got to see it with his own eyes. And never before had I seen a creative miracle right before my eyes. So much. But here's the thing. Our plans had fallen through. And then God came through. Well, now you're going to say, well, R.T., that's well and good. Your plans fell through, and it all worked out. But what you don't know, my marriage is on the rocks. What you don't know, I've just lost my job. What you don't realize, that my child is very sick. What you don't know is that we've got this disability. And you could talk about other things. You've got a health issue. And... It crossed my mind as I thought about today, how many, I'm not asking for a show of hands because this is a very sensitive area. You've got a mental health issue. And we don't talk about things like that. And I decided to share something with you I've never shared publicly in my life. And that is, I've got a mental health issue. Many years ago, my closest friend, who was my first mentor, he and I planned one day to have a ministry together. It was postponed because I had to sell vacuum cleaners for a living and for other reasons, just couldn't go into the ministry. But he calls me one day, there's a church in Ohio that would like me to be their pastor. So I think, at last, my friend and I are gonna go in the ministry together and we'll start in this church in a little town called Carlisle, Ohio. And so we moved from Florida, where we'd been living. We gave up selling vacuum cleaners. And now the plans are all coming together, except for one thing. After a few weeks, this church didn't like what I was preaching. They were rejecting the very gospel. They heard a different thing. They were brought up to believe something different. I won't go into more detail, the point is, they decided that they should try me for heresy and have other ministers come in and found me guilty of preaching things contrary to their little denomination. My close friend and mentor turned his back on me, distanced himself, stopped seeing me, would not back me, wouldn't return my phone calls, and then on the day before he left, every time the phone would ring, I think, oh, he's calling to say goodbye. He never even said goodbye. And on that last day, I don't know how to explain it. I won't try to go into detail, but something snapped with me. 
I've never got over it from that day to this. What happened to me that day left me handicapped in a way I wouldn't expect you to understand. It wasn't until uh, I met Paul Kane and told him about it. He said, it's your thorn in the flesh. I had decided that that was the case. Uh, the Apostle Paul prayed three times for his thorn in the flesh to be removed. I've prayed 300 times, 3,000 times. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones laid hands on me. I had one man who tried to cast the demon out. He said it, the demon was gone. Well, I said it may be gone, but I feel the same way. And do you know, as I speak to you right now, I've still got it. 55 years later. But here I am. I still have coped. I've pressed through. And for the person who needs this, so will you. Don't think because you've got this mental handicap that's going to keep you from being used of God. Now, Paul said the reason he had it was to keep him from being conceited. Well, I can tell you, that's why I've got it, I'm sure. I'm conceited enough with it. I can't imagine how bad I would be without it. <laughs> and so God in his graciousness, I, I, I'm not joking. I guess that's why we just laughed our heads off one day. Maybe that was kicking in. All I know is you can live with a mental problem. I'm proof of it. When we get to heaven, you can see all the details. Don't be discouraged. In fact, you know what I was afraid of most? That when I told Martin Lloyd-Jones the problem, that he would make sure that I would never be the minister of Westminster Chapel. It didn't bother him. He, he understood it, said he did. And don't you think that because of this, it's going to be a problem. We make plans. They fall through. And I can tell you one last thing on this. Believe it or not, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. If that had not happened, or let's say my old friend and I started our ministry, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have gone outside the state of Ohio. We didn't have a vision to think big. Who knows what God will use in your life if this has been your problem. You see, God is sovereign. And this is for somebody here, you say, I've got a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter. You should know that while at Westminster Chapel, our daughter, Melissa, got tired of Westminster Chapel, stopped going, got with the wrong crowd, and wandered away from God. Evangelist J. John and his wife, Kelly promised to pray for Melissa. They did every day for seven years. Every night before they go to bed, they would pray for Melissa. We thought the prayer would never be answered, but it was. See, don't give up. Maybe you're praying for your son, your daughter. You think, there's no hope. It ain't over till it's over. As a matter of fact, when I was in Ohio, there was a person who would come with his wife, his wife, a faithful supporter, of the ministry, great Christian lady, uh, would sit on the third row, right next to the, at the end of the row, and he was never converted. One of the things that kept me in that little church, as long as I stayed, I kept thinking, today, R.E., like me, goes by his initials. He's going to get saved today. We stayed 18 months. He never did. Five years later, 
never got saved. 10 years later, not saved. 20 years ago, I warned him. I said, R.E., you're getting older. Five years ago, I said, R.E., you're coming up close to 80. Do you not realize eternity lasts a long time? He was blind. He just said, I know, I know. Guess what? For some reason, two years ago, he was saved. He died a year ago. God is never too late, never too early, always just on time. I have more I was going to say about that, except you should know. And do you know what it is to think you ask for something, and if it didn't happen in two days, you give up. And if it didn't happen in two months, you certainly give it up. What if 25 years later, it's not even on your mind anymore, and the angel Gabriel comes to you, uh, not this Gabriel. Uh, I never thought you as an angel anyway. You know, I had to talk with your wife. You're no angel. You think I'm not perfect? You need to know about, listen. Gabriel, the angel, came to Zechariah, a priest, Luke chapter 1. And says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. What? Zechariah says, what prayer? Well, you and Elizabeth prayed for a son, didn't you? Oh, that prayer, that was 25 years ago. I'm an old man. And have you had a look at my wife lately? You think she can have a baby? Imagine arguing with an angel. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard of in my life. Uh, if an angel came to me, I'd believe him. He says, well, you're, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to, she's going to conceive. You've been praying for it. God's answered your prayer. She's going to have a son. You're going to call him John, which was John the Baptist, it turns out. And then Zechariah keeps arguing back, keeps arguing back. And then Gabriel says, Zechariah, because you don't believe a word I've said, I've got some bad news. The bad news was not that the baby will die. It is not that the baby, that she's going to miscarry. No. The bad news is that you, Zechariah, are going to be struck dumb and not able to speak because you don't believe what I've said. Here's what we learned from that story. Any prayer that is prayed in the will of God will be answered. Amen. 1 John 5, 14. Never forget it. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. But then verse 15 says, if we know that He hears us, we know we have it. But you see, knowing that He hears us is a different thing. Zechariah and Elizabeth were heard, but they didn't know it. The first day they said, God, give us a son. The angel said, yes. It was answered, but just delayed 25 or 30 years. And it just goes to show, you've asked for things and you gave up. Gave up that God was going to answer you because you thought it would happen in a day or two or a year or two. Any prayer prayed in the will of God will be answered. But then here's the caution. The shape, the shape answered prayer takes is determined 
by our readiness at the time the prayer is answered. It's going to be answered. It's going to be answered, but the shape it takes will be determined. And so, you can imagine, a few weeks later, surprise, surprise, Elizabeth is pregnant. And all of their friends come from all over the Judea saying, Zechariah, we're so happy for you. Your wife is going to have a baby. And his reply is, oh, mm, mm, oh, mm, it's humiliation time. He's not able to enjoy it. He can't enjoy it. The shape answered prayer takes is determined by our readiness at the time. When I think of this, it takes me back to Ashland, Kentucky, our home. Many years ago, there was this couple that felt led to start a church in South Ashland. People said, you don't need another church. We've got plenty of churches in South Ashland. Well, we believe we should start a church in South Ashland. This couple got another couple to join them. Now there are four praying for it. Then when the numbers got up to 11, they rented a garage, put some chairs in it. People laughed at them. Said, you hear about the group in South Ashland? They have 11 people out. They laughed at them. But they prayed that God would give them their own building. Some years later, some years later, they built the most beautiful edifice, seats between three and 400. Every time I go to Ashland, I take Louise and say, there's that building. You know what? On the day of the dedication, they brought in the chief general superintendent of that denomination. It was a big day. The place was packed. Cars lined up and down the street. But the man whose vision it was to have the church had in the meantime fallen into sin and disgrace and wasn't even welcome. Wasn't even welcome. They said, everybody saw him, he just kind of drove by, looked in, saw the crowds, but had to keep going. His prayer was answered, but he wasn't able to enjoy it. It goes to show when you ask God for things, don't stop. Don't give up. That's why Jesus gave us the parable, Luke 18. Pray, keep on praying, keep on praying. Don't give up, don't give up. And the sad thing is that that man that I've just described did not finish well. He died in, in disgrace. Finishing well. I think I'll fast forward to this part. We all want to finish well. <laughs> I, you may think I've, I'm finished, but I'm not. <laughs> I had a lady in South Africa, of all places, you ever heard of South Africa? Come up to me in Pretoria about four years ago. Four years ago. I said, Dr. Kendall, it is so good to meet someone who has finished well. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, I may have a few years left. I, am, I haven't finished well yet. I'm not joking. I mean, if I died today, yes, I finished well. But I've got time left. I don't want to mess up. You don't want to mess up. Few principles. To be sure, 
you finished well. I've got to say this. I know I said it a couple weeks ago. Sexual purity. Very important. It's connected to your having wisdom, according to Proverbs. So many people that fall in the ministry, it's over sex. Sexual purity. That means no premarital sex, no gay sex, no lesbian sex, no infidelity if you are married. Also, how you handle money. To be squeaky clean when it comes to money and finances. Here's another thing. Be accountable to people who will tell you what you need to know. I've got friends who are not afraid of me. Lyndon Bowering, you all know Lyndon. He is unafraid of me. He will tell me what he thinks I need to hear. And it's often, I think, oh, Lyndon, please. But I have to listen. You need a friend or two that will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Be accountable to those. Be willing not to get the credit for what you do. Do you need to get the credit for everything? I'm telling you how to finish well. Have a strong devotional life. Prayer, Bible reading. This church, led by Colin Dye, he's got you reading through the Bible in a year. Don't miss a day. Stay in the Word. The best way to get on good terms with the Holy Spirit is to get to know this book. This is the Holy Spirit's greatest product. He wrote it. You want to get on good terms with the Holy Spirit? Get to know His Word so well because this will help you to know that you will finish well. Have time with God. There'll be no praying in heaven. There'll be no praying in heaven. Now is the time. Live in total forgiveness. Live with graciousness. Live with gratitude. Do you know how important it is to be grateful? Let me tell you how important. God hates gratitude. Sorry. God hates ingratitude. God loves gratitude. Let me start all over, because I was going to have you repeat this out loud. Now I think I need to hear it myself. <laughs> Three things. Wait till I finish. One, God loves gratitude. Two, God hates ingratitude. Three, gratitude must be taught. Now say it with me. God loves gratitude. God hates ingratitude. Gratitude must be taught. And I'm trying to teach you today. When Jesus healed ten lepers, ten, one came back and said, thank you, thank you. And immediately Jesus said, where are the nine? Where are the other nine? I, I healed ten. It lets you know that God notices it. When you ask for things, he answers and you don't bother to say thank you. He hates ingratitude. Mayo Clinic, the most respected medical institution in America, a year ago came out with a bulletin that said, thankful people live longer. That ought to get you going. My wife Louise, before she goes to bed at night, thanks God for three things of that day. That's a good thing. I do it in the morning. I'm a morning person. She takes a long time to get awake. She needs 10 cups of coffee before she speaks to me. 
She does it in the evening. But every morning I go through my journal and I thank God for the things the day before. Be a gracious person. Be a grateful person. This is a guarantee that you will finish well. Just to know that when plans go wrong, everything falls apart. Don't panic. When God says no, it's because he's got a better idea than what you wanted. Down the road, you'll live to see that the reason you didn't get what you got, the reason things happen is because God sees the end from the beginning. Never forget this. St. Augustine said, a God who doesn't know the future is not God. He knows the future. It's not over till it's over. He's never too late. He's never too early. Always just on time. Heavenly Father, take this word. Apply this word by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Goodbye. See you again.